Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning once again. If I happen to miss you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and today we are continuing our series on relationships. Uh, for several years, my family and I, I have three kids, um, all pretty close in age together, and we lived in uh, maybe a glorified one-bedroom apartment. It was like a two-bedroom apartment that we made it two bedrooms, and it was awesome. We loved living there. It had actually a good amount of space. It was near the park, so we always joked that like we didn't have a backyard. We had a huge front yard, and and so I love that, and it's, uh, it was one of my favorite uh, memories of being in Jersey City is just living there. And the beauty and challenge of living in the city with uh, being in a relationship with someone and having kids is, you know, being in small spaces. And we, I, I love it. Uh, it helps you be efficient, all those different things. But what do you do with children in, in, a, in a space where everybody's close to each other when you've, you're married and you have a disagreement? Like, what do you do? Well, you, you know, you've eventually got to work it out, and, <laughs> and you've got you to argue. And so we would do that, and we, uh, we had gotten into arguments. And, and so our kids grew up. I know this is shocking for those of you who know me, hearing my wife and I argue. And they would not be in the same room, but, I mean, they could hear us. They knew what was happening. And, you know, what do you do about that? Well, this apartment also had another unique factor, was just about every room had a door to the hallway. So the living room did, and our main bedroom also had a door to the stairwell that people would go up. And so we had an apartment that lived above us. And every once in a while, somebody would come home and have the privilege of also knowing that Aaron and I were not in agreement on something with one another. And so that's just the beauty of the city. I remember hearing a pastor talking about this years ago, like, you know, the neighbors got to know them in every way possible. And like, and, you know, but, you know, what do you do? Do you not do it? No, you like, Engaging and arguing with another in a relationship is actually how God designed it to be. Believe it or not, and that's what we're going to talk about and engage today. What in the world do you, in our, and we've, we talk with our kids about it, and we help them work through disagreements with one another, and we just were open and honest that this is how we learn to grow together. And we've had to work really hard <laughs> on learning how to do that as a couple and we found out, uh, you, know, you know, a couple years into our marriage, how different we were approaching how we argued, and that made it interesting. But that's what God wants, crazy enough. And that, as you, we talked about last week, if we engage that and learn that, will lead us to beauty and intimacy. And so how do you, how do you work through this stuff? How do you figure this out? And, this, and we're talking about, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on romantic relationships, but this honestly impacts every type of relationship we engage with. God has made us to be in relationship with one another. As we've, as we've been, we're discovering more today and, and last week, uh, marriage is actually a picture of God and the church, of Christ and the church, that that is to be a picture of what our marriages are, and God has, has purposefully uh, made marriage for us to experience. And so whether you're married or not, we see the picture of marriage in the church, and it's how we engage with relationships with one another. I cannot help you figure out and walk through every single relationship scenario that you walk in in your life, and, and everybody has complex issues with, with, you know, talking to their parents or siblings or your roommate or dating or marriage and all these different things, but I can give you principles. I can give you foundations that you can stand upon that will help you engage all of these 
circumstances that we walk into. And so that's what this series is about. We're talking about four essential foundations for relationships. And so this is week three. So week one we talked about, we want to think about and practice and make the habit of who we are becoming. And so we're learning that in dating especially, we think about who am I going to find and we think that if I just get married and I, and I find somebody who's good for me, who's right for me, then everything's going to be okay. But we don't realize is that everything we've done before comes with us. We bring our luggage, our past, our history into our marriages. And we, we worked hard in our career, but we forgot to work on who we were becoming. And that's what establishes a great marriage. And we want to establish that habit in our marriages that we continue to grow individually and together. That is the process that God wants us to engage in. So we talk about who are we becoming. And as you walk towards God, you let Him lead you and you grow. We're learning to trust God and to follow Him. So who you are becoming, that's foundation one. All of this is on our website. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, it's on our podcast. So you can listen to that as well. And then uh, last week, I talked about this principle that God has given us from the beginning, where the two become one. This is a central theme in Scripture. The two become one. And we find this, Jesus teaches us this. He was asked about marriage, and here's what he said. He says, haven't you read that the, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. God has made it, marriage to be a, a union, that they become one. Paul referenced this in, in, in writing about the teachings of Christ. He says this is a mystery that God has created. We don't fully understand it. But what's interesting, it's also a picture, I've mentioned this several times now, of the church, that we are to be one with Christ. And that our unity is what draws people to God. And we work, our structure as a church family here is that we want to work to be unified. And we want to love others. We want to love this city. And so the two become one. And this also references, uh, this is reference, Jesus is referencing the beginning and creation in Genesis. This is recorded for us. And, and God made uh, female out of, women out of a man. And so they are joined together, literally, the, uh, one of each other. And so at the place where, where man meets woman for the first time, this is recorded, it says, at last. It's an amazing uh, expression. He's like, finally. <laughs> he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And so then it says this in Scripture. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is what Jesus is specifically referencing. And then it says this incredible statement. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And this is significant because it speaks to beauty. It speaks to intimacy. God made us from the beginning to experience great intimacy. And intimacy is just that, where we are completely exposed and not ashamed. 
and one and, and unified together. We all desire this, to be unified. And so there's a duality. There's a duality when it comes to this, this principle of the two becoming one. On one side, you have intimacy and beauty. God has made us for sex. He made this for us. He's given this incredible and powerful thing that we love. And so we have intimacy and unity. But at the same time, becoming one, two people, as I referenced in my own marriage, we're different. And so you've got different backgrounds, different history. And so it also brings about growth and, yes, hardship. Both of these things are by design and both are necessary. And so what we learned last week, we talked and focused on the beauty and intimacy. Both of these are necessary, and we've learned that intimacy requires work. We want to fight for the beauty. We want to fight for intimacy that we're learning to become, and we, and, and we want to value this. We want to trust God and allow him to lead us towards intimacy. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But it also brings about, like there's growth, becoming, there's a principle. But that means it's not always going to be easy. And this is something that maybe you've never heard. I lead a pre-marriage class. And by the way, I'm, I'm planning to start an engaged couples class for those engaged starting in March. I'd love to, for you to be part of that. We'll begin to be posting information about that. We do that on Sundays for about six weeks. And I talk about that this is part of a great marriage. This is why when we think about who am I, I going to marry, who am I, and, and we, we find someone, we think they're the right person, and then you experience hardship. And we're like, well, maybe this wasn't the right person. And we've never learned that beauty. The best marriages that you can find, the ones that you see that are such a great example, they are marriages, and they, all the best marriages have worked through hard things. Worked through the differences. It was God's design. And hardship came at what we call the fall. The fall of man, where we walked away from God and we walked into what we call sin and brokenness. This is a foundational part of our belief. And we see this all throughout our world today. The brokenness of what we call sin, of walking away from God. And so we left off in, in this passage from the beginning where this says, They were naked and felt no shame. But then this happened. We go to Genesis 3, and it says this. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so he's coming to, there's, there's who we call Satan, the devil. The adversary comes to tempt us away. And he says, did, he says you must, and so he's kind of mixing in words here. God had said you must not eat out of one tree. And he says, any tree? He says, a woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did, did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And what God did from the beginning was he did not force us to follow him. He, he allowed us to choose. In his, in his grace for us, in his goodness, we chose him. And, and so this is choosing between life and death. To walk away from God is to walk away from life. 
To walk away from God is to walk away from love because He is love. He is life. And so He's saying, if you, if you choose to walk away from Me, you are walking towards death. And so and it continues here. It says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he lies and twists the truth. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. This next sentence is really important. It says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. So at this point in the scene we're reading, and the camera is zoomed in. <laughs> you see two people. And the whole time, Adam is right there watching this happen. So they're doing this together. They're one. Remember, you, the two are united into one. So she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, naked, I just said naked, naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The effect is immediate, the brokenness of our sin. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So in the midst of this intimacy, beauty, absolute freedom. By the way, if anybody's watching and paying attention to the Super Bowl, specifically the Super Bowl commercials, there was an avocado commercial that referenced this scene. Anybody notice that? I don't know. Like, there's so many. It was pretty funny. Uh, they, like, reversed time and undid this. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Because like, he showed him, oh, I'm naked. I can't. And he's hiding. And, and then they reversed it. And something about eating avocado, they ate from the right tree, and everything's fine. And they're like, and they're blissful, you know, just eat avocados, okay? It was funny. Uh, I love funny references like that. So, it was actually kind of theologically correct. It was just, anyway, so funny enough. Um, but in the midst of beauty is brokenness. And what's amazing is if you look, brokenness was introduced. They walked away from life and love and introduced death and decay, hardship into the world. And the first thing that they do, that they experience, is shame and hiding. And they, in a terrible way, like, like they immediately have to cover themselves up and they, they hid from God. They felt shame. And so we see this introduced, and they, they started what we've become really good at. We've become really good at hiding. And that's what we do, right? We, we put on a good show, and, and I'm, I'll tell you, I'm, I am a pastor, and I teach about these scriptures, but I also have a sinful nature. I've inherited 
from this. Scriptures teach us that we are born into it. And I, I mess up. I hide. I'm broken. There's no, I'm ordained, but that, I mean, there's a standard that I, have, I do live by, I've committed to, that God has called me to. And, but it doesn't mean that I don't sin. We all do this. It exists in every marriage relationship. It's, it's crazy. I'm not trying to be a downer. or just stating what is true. And it's important for us to understand why it happens. They were unified, and then sin enters the world. They were naked and not ashamed, and then the fall. And God introduces, and as a punishment, we have toil, pain, work. There's death. We have anger, murder. Their own children became jealous. Murder happened very quickly. Anger eventually wants to become murder. It's crazy, and we see this happen. It just affects everything. We see it affect the natural world, that it's, it's in decay. It affects our relationships. And so this is part of all of us and in our marriages. And God knew that we would take this step. He wasn't surprised by this. But it will be hard. God didn't just leave us there. He made a way. I want you to, 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 to hear this scripture. This is Ephesians 1. It says, And praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. You see, there's that, that phrase. We see this all throughout scripture. We've been made to be united with him, to be one as a church. And then listen to this. It says, Even before he made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. There's the beauty He's made you and I for. And this is key. Before He made the world, He loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace. This is God's description of himself, by the way. And going back to Exodus, when God is, is revealing himself to his people, he, he, when he describes himself, his heart, he says, I am a God who is rich in mercy and love. And I love this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Before he made the world, he was going to give us this choice and he knew that we would walk away. We would, choose, we would, we would not believe him. We don't, we'd say, I don't, I don't trust you. I'm going to go, go my own way. And he chose to make a way to sacrifice himself. Last week we talked about intimacy. God's plan for intimacy with us is about submitting. In all the relationships, the, the, the secret is to submit and love one another. And God submitted to us first. So you see Christ shed his blood for us. He took the penalty of death 
that we deserve so we didn't have to, so that we could be restored and be redeemed. We screwed it up. We broke it. We broke off this relationship with God, and that's what we call the fall. There's an actual divide. And when you screw it up in your relationships, when you blow it, when you yell at your roommate, when you break up a relationship in a bad way, you ghost somebody, <laughs> like all the things we do, like you, you know, you know, we see this happen, right? People tweet stuff or like, oh, they delete it, but everybody's got it archived. Like, no, we I took a screenshot. Like we, we say things that we wish we could take back. And so we, we, we blow it. We feel the separation. We feel the brokenness. You feel like there, there's a divide in you. And you can set your own rules. Like if you're not a Christ follower, not following him, you can decide like right and wrong, but you break your own rules. You can't even follow it. And you feel that in yourself. Something is broken. There's a chasm. My wife and I, we say something or we argue and we're like, we hit this impasse. We just like we, we start giving both of each other the cold shoulder, right? We've entered a divide. And the same is with God. He didn't leave us there. He made a way to be redeemed. He made a way to be restored. And this is so important that we have hardship introduced because we brought that in. But part of marriage is, is walking towards each other. Part of every relationship and friendship here in our church family is, is working towards unity to make peace. And this is what redemption is. And so the first thing, I don't know if I said, yeah, hardship came at the fall. The second thing for us to understand, I think I've got five different things here. I'm not going to spend forever on each point, by the way. But the second thing is redemption and restoration has always been part of the plan. As we just read about. Going back to Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the early part of God's story with us. Exodus 6.6 6 says this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment towards those who've been oppressing them. I will redeem you. God is always in his place of redemption. It is part of his plan. Following God eventually should lead to a place where we believe in him and we follow him and we say, I am yours. I submit to you. You are my God. And that's going to be the, the fourth thing that we'll talk about next week. But it, it's essential for every great relationship. But it's the picture that he's given us. And as you pursue God, we need to understand that we have created a divide with him and that you need to be restored. That without that we are, we are ultimately separated from him forever. We need to walk towards him, but he's made a way. We feel condemned and shamed. We want to hide. 
and he's made a way to be restored. He took that shame and punishment for you. That's why Paul says, praise be to God. He has showered us with kindness. Don't be mistaken. We have a divide with God and we need to be restored to him. I'd love to engage you in that conversation. If you want to find more about that, just let me know. I'd love to talk about that. And so we did the third thing for us here is that we, the, the, the process of redemption. The process of redemption brings about beauty. So in our relationships, we are engaged now in a process of redemption. You have been redeemed by God but we practice this over and over, and God uses this in it to restore us. And so this is so key to know that in every marriage, in every relationship, there is always a chance for redemption, especially when Christ is involved. That He's not made for you and I to sit in shame. And I, I talked about in the beginning of this series how all these things are the ideal. These foundations are the ideal of what God is calling us to. This is the beauty we want to walk towards. And we've all blown it. We've all messed it up. And so we're going to experience and have things from our past and things that we regret and have shame about. And this is the beauty of Christ and why we should consider, you should consider walking towards Him because He's made a way for you to be forgiven and to be restored. And you can experience that with Him and in your relationships with others. And this is the beauty of who Christ is and why we sing and worship and celebrate Him because He's made a way for us to be brought back into this intimacy. And we've seen this over, over and over and over again, over hundreds of years, people who've walked away from unbelievably tough and awful scenarios and walked into beauty, even in marriages. Our world doesn't know how to do this. We're at a loss. We've lost the vocabulary of how to be restored. We just know how to be broken and to cancel each other out. And it's hard to live this way, yeah, but it's beautiful. It's worth it. And Jesus showed us that it's worth it. Let me share with you one story of redemption. In, 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 in the, what we call the Old Testament Scriptures, we have the story of God, and then there's these little places of beauty, and there's this amazing story centered around Ruth. And it's all about redemption. It's a story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And so in this story, Naomi, it starts out, she's married, she has a husband and two sons, which is a blessing, especially in that culture and time. There's a famine, and so they moved out. From the, they, she was a, a God-fearer, part of the nation of Israel. They moved away from their area because of famine, and they, they settled in this other place, and then her husband died. It's a tragic thing that was very hard for her. Her boys married in that region. They married, uh, there's a, a, a tribe that were not God followers. And so they married two girls, one each. One's named Orpah, not Oprah. Orpah, if you read it, it's like Oprah. And then Ruth. But then the sons also died. It doesn't say why or how. And Naomi's devastated, devastated. And so she tells these two women, listen, you are young. You have a whole life before you. You need to go back to your people and marry. You have a chance to, to you know, still have a full life. 
And, and so she, and they're pushing back. They're like, no, we want to stay with you. And she says, this is about found in Ruth 1, 13. She says, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, of course not, my daughters. These things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now, this is important because it shows how, you know, she's hurting. Naomi's hurting. She's grieving and she's bitter. And she's like, God has raised his fist against me. She's not happy with God. And this is totally understandable, right? We, we, would, we understand her feeling this way. Eventually, she moves, she moves back, and they call her Naomi. And this is this. She goes, she goes, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Dang. Like she's not, like, so she changes her name to represent how she feels. Now God was not distant. I'm sure he felt completely silent to her, but he was working. And so, as I mentioned, she was encouraging the daughters to, to go back to their people, but Ruth refused. Ruth was like, no way. I am with you. I am going to stay with you. I'm giving up that the hope for this future and the things that I, we'd always want to be with you. And, and Ruth began to sacrifice herself for the beauty of someone else, which is what creates amazing relationships. And God began to work in this story through Ruth. Ruth was full of faith, incredibly strong, sacrificial, and faithful. And she's an amazing example to all of us. She was enduring through hardship. She lost her husband, giving up what she wanted and deserved. And in this story, God is using that, and he sends a redeemer. The fourth thing for us to know is faithfulness to God brings about restoration, beauty, and intimacy. We will experience this when we are faithful to him, especially in hardship. We want to learn to trust him when things are hard and engage. In your marriages, you were designed to pull together, to be one, to do everything you can. Understand that it's supposed to be this way, and it feels weird when you're saying awful things, and like you want to learn to engage one another, to do everything you can. My wife and I eventually had to step into marriage counseling to help us how to learn how to argue with one another. And what God was using these amazing resources we have in our world today to bring us into a deeper beauty and unity and understanding with one another. As the deeper you go, there will be places that you will, you will hit. And we have learned to just say, okay, this is part of the plan that we engage. Faithfulness to God brings about this beauty. And so they, they go back to where Naomi was from. And Ruth begins to just live and engage. 
And she begins to what we call glean from the fields. They were farmers at the time, and she is gleaning. And so they, they didn't leave. And this is an amazing principle. We shouldn't pursue all the work ourselves. This is the same thing. They would leave the edges of their fields not picked over, and it would allow for others who didn't have the resources to come and, and to get that. And so that's what Ruth had to do. They didn't have a way to make you know, food for themselves. And so she would go to these fields and glean from them. And she started going to the field where this man named Boaz owned. And he takes notice. And he starts telling his workers, he's like, hey, leave more behind for her. See that girl? And like he sees her. And he like really begins to bless her. And so she, she reports this back to Ruth and, I mean, Naomi. And, and Naomi says, may the Lord bless him. He said, he is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. The, that's quite the way to say it. But anyway, he says, this man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. And this is an amazing thing. I don't have time to go into it fully. But God, in his wisdom from the beginning, made a, a, a plan for in their family relationships and in their work relationships for someone to redeem them. He had this picture of what Christ was eventually going to do spread all throughout their customs and their culture. And so when someone died, someone that was their nearest relative had the right to redeem them and, and was actually almost required to. The same was with if they lost, they lost property or they went into debt to someone. Someone could come in and redeem them. And she's like, hey, he's a family redeemer. Naomi is showing hope. And the whole town is taking notice of this, by the way. So they hatch a plan to pursue Boaz. <laughs> it's a great, there's a great story in, in, in the stories in the Bible. Like that would, and there's some crazy stuff that like puts, would make the bachelor blush. I'm not kidding. But crazy, the sin, sinful brokenness, it, you should read it. Um, so, so Boaz took Ruth. Okay, so I, I skipped ahead. Uh, they hatch a plan. It's, I'm just supposed to tell the whole thing. So they hatch a plan, and she pursues him. And so she essentially proposes to Boaz. And he's like, let's do this. But he says, but first, there's someone that's closer to me than you. And he gives this guy the chance. He's like, by the way, if you redeem her and you marry her, you also take on their land and everything. There's something else that was associated with this. And, and the guy was like, nope, it was too much risk for him. He missed out on an amazing opportunity. So Boaz is like, I'll marry you, and, he, and, and, and he's excited because he had been single, all these different things. And so they married. And so then Ruth 4, 13 through 17 says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, and that's, that's there too. But, I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's interesting scripture. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore. Use that word restore. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. They are speaking this to Naomi. By the way, not saying her, her other name. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David, which is significant. God gave us this story of redemption, and through this lineage, 
Eventually, it leads to Joseph, who married Mary and was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who gave birth to Jesus. They were like, may he be famous in Israel? (laughs) He is. God uses our redemption to impact others. This wasn't just them. This redemption impacted the city. The faith, the next one, number five. (laughs) Did I not put it in? Number five, God uses our redemption to impact others. (laughs) Okay. Um, Did I put the wrong number? Okay, sorry. It's amazing. In your marriages, in all relationships, understanding, understanding God's plan, His design, and His purposes is crucial. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have disagreements. And when we, when we become members of GCC, if you're a Christ follower and this is your church family, taking a step of membership is a part of how we are the body of Christ together. And we, we, we commit towards unity with one another. And that means we have to engage in relationships that isn't always easy. It's messy. But it's worth it. Because when we do this, we walk toward beauty and intimacy. It's why we can trust God with what he's asked us to do. And that's going to be what we talk about next week. There's nothing more beautiful than a marriage driven and led by Christ. Every marriage has hope when Jesus is there. Every friendship has hope when Jesus is there. Hardship leads to to beauty. It's God's design. And for the sake of intimacy and beauty, we engage. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your, your words to us. I pray that we would have the faith and the strength. Give us the strength, Father, to take steps that aren't always easy, knowing that you will lead us to what's good. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.